0: These are called challenge coins, challenge coins. And what's really neat is to think about where these actually came from. These are becoming very popular today. And so we want to make sure that every father got one of these and so if you do end up getting out of here and you didn't get one, we'll make sure you get one, okay? But these are challenge coins and What's really neat about them is the history behind them. A lot of people wonder where they came from, and really, if you go back, a lot of people say, well, it was a military thing. A lot of the different branches of military would kind of pass the coins off to one another as a sign of respect, and then over time, law enforcement began to give these out, and then now everybody seems to be giving them out, but there is a reason behind it. In fact, the history goes all the way back to Rome. I didn't realize this until I started studying. It goes all the way back to Rome when Roman soldiers would do something great in a battle they would come home and then their captain their lead would give them a uh, give them their wages but then also give them a special coin for what they did, for the job well done in battle. And it have something on there about the legion that they were a part of. And so they could actually use that coin to go and buy goods with it. But what happened was they began to become so popular, the men that fought in the battle would actually keep the coin as a representation of a good battle that they had fought. And so that's the history behind the challenge coin. It goes all the way back to Rome. But not only that, when you think about it, what's the purpose behind the challenge coin? There's a couple things. Number one, the purpose is to show that you are in an organization and enhance your morale. Now, if you're a father, you're a part of a great organization, it's called the dad organization. All right? And so every one of us that received one of these, hopefully, you know, you received it because you're a dad and uh, you're a part of a specific organization that you get to claim. And that is having kids. But then there is a a challenge that comes behind each one of them, and that's individually based. And so the challenge that we have for you fathers today is found on the back of that coin. It is Ephesians chapter 6 And verse 4, and it reads like this, And you fathers, and so ladies, if you want to follow in the Word of God, open it up. Or you can look there on your husband's coin, but it says this, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. So that's what we're going to talk about today are the two challenges that are made to fathers by God Himself. Now, it's told to fathers. Now, what I thought was interesting about this is the word fathers comes from the word "patēris," which means nourisher, protector, and upholder. Now, when you think about those words, the idea behind nourisher is the simple fact that you're called to supply and take care of... Of your family. In other words, you're supposed to be the provider of your family. As fathers, that's what we're called to do. And I've said many times, if I need to go work a second or third job or whatever I need to do to provide for my family, that's what I'm going to do. Because that's what the Bible calls us as fathers is to be the nourisher. Not only does it call us to be a nourisher, but it also calls us to be the protector, you know. Now guys, if somebody breaks into your house and your wife is the first one down there, you're a coward, Okay? You are the protector. You are the one. Now, you know, that's the thing. We're called to protect our families and and I'll tell you that it, it, it's it's a duty that we're called to not only to protect them in a physical Manner, But we're to protect them from all the harms of this world. And so as fathers, we have a tremendous job that is ahead of us. And not only are we called to be protectors, we're called to be upholders. In other words, we're to uphold the law of God. We're to be the ones that are there to train up our kids, as we'll see as this passage teaches, and to train them up in the ways of the Lord. Now, this is interesting because in Roman law, they had a thing called patri potestas, which is a father had virtual life and death power not only over his slaves, but over his entire household. He could cast any of them out of the house, sell them as slaves, or even kill them and be accountable to no one. A newborn child was placed at its father's feet to determine its fate. If the father picked it up, the child was allowed to stay in the home. If the father walked away, it was simply disposed of. Now, that's terrible, right? That's sad to think about that. But that's literally the way it worked in Roman law. Now, how many of you have ever had your parents give you this statement where they said, I brought you into this world? Go ahead and finish it. You know you want to. So I can take you out of it, right? Y'all remember that? I think that comes from this idea, you know? (laughs) Without repercussions, I can do to you what I want to do to you. And if you were a kid, when I was younger, I believed it. I threatened to call 911 a few times. Any of you others do that? My parents picked up the phone and handed it to me. and said, here you go. I never called. Never called. But here's the thing. There, when Paul gives this instruction to fathers, it comes on the heels of understanding that fathers had total rulership within the homes. And so what Paul is going to declare, what God is going to give Paul to declare to fathers is something that was unheard of at that time. He was challenging them to be so much more than what Roman society had challenged them to do. And I'm here to tell you, that's what God wants us to do as men of God. God wants to challenge you to be more than what society wants you to be. God wants you to stand up and be something that is different than what society is crying out. Let me tell you something. God wants you to be a man. I'm tired of girly men. If you're offended by that, I'm talking to you. (laughs) Okay? We live in an offended society, we get offended over everything. Here's the thing get a backbone. Get a backbone. Fathers are called to be there for their families, for their children. And this passage really speaks to us being the kind of father that God has called us to be. Totally separate from what society calls us to be. So let's take a look at these things. And we're going to see first the negative command when it says, Do not provoke your children. It simply says that. It says, and ye fathers provoke not your children to wrath. What is interesting is the very same word used for provoke is the very same word used for wrath. What he's basically saying there is, he's saying, peroge to your children. peroge do not lead them into wrath. In other words, don't irritate them beyond measure. Now, that's hard for me as a dad because I thought when I had kids, that was my pleasure. Right to irritate my children. But there is a bit stronger understanding behind what that word provoke means. It simply means this. It is a repeated, ongoing pattern of treatment that gradually builds up a deep-seated anger and resentment that boils over into outward hostility. Now, today I want to talk to you about 10 things, 10 things of ways you can provoke your children. I looked at these from psychologists and pastors and other, and other messages. And so when I wanted to look at these, these 10 things, number one is overprotection. Overprotection is one way you can provoke your kids. Let me just tell you something. Here's what I learned when I had a son. He's going to get hurt and it's okay. And here's what I learned about having a daughter. She's going to get hurt and it's Okay right? Now, here's the, here's the purpose of it. We can be overprotective as parents. You can't wrap your kids in bubble wrap and send them out on the road. You can't do it. Your kids are going to go out, and guess what? When we become overprotective, and when I talk about overprotection, it's not overprotective just in the physical, but we can be overprotective in so many ways. The idea of being overprotective is that we're overbearing, and we're over top of our kids, and we never even let them live their lives. Let me tell you what happens when you raise a kid in an overprotective household. When they get out on their own, woe be unto you. When they finally get a taste of freedom, woe be unto you. Now, that's not to say that we can't lead them, guide them, direct them, and teach them the things of God. We can. But here's something you need to understand. Your kids are individuals, and they're going to make mistakes. Don't be so overprotective that you think your kids can't fail and you do everything to keep them from failing. Your kids need to fail sometimes because you learn life's most valuable lessons when you fail. You learn how to overcome. You learn how to trust in God. You learn so many things when you fail. Don't be one that's so overprotective that your kids, when they get away, they can't wait to get away. A second way to provoke your children is favoritism favoritism. Now, you hear kids say this all the time, don't you? I'll be honest with you. Growing up, my mom and dad had a favorite. It was my sister. They'll be watching online. They'll hear this later, (laughs) right? Had a favorite, and there ain't nothing like favoritism. Now, we claimed it, but I'll be honest with you. My parents took really good care of us growing up, But favoritism can be brought out when one parent favors one child over another, and it happens by spending more time with that child, doing more things for that child, and showing that that child is more important than the other. It's that simple. Favoritism is terrible. Now, let's be honest. If you have two kids, usually mama loves one more than the other and daddy loves one more than the other, right? At least that's what the kids claim. The truth of the matter is, is they love you equally or they should love you equally, not bringing about favoritism. Not trying to stir it up. If you ever read the Old Testament and you read what took place with Josh, uh, Joseph, Joseph had the technicolor coat, the coat of many colors. And because of that, his brothers became very jealous of him. We don't want to spark jealousy within the household. And we certainly don't want to bring up favoritism. It will provoke our children to wrath. Number three is to compare kids. Haven't you always liked it when your parents compare you to somebody else? How many of you remember the Cosby show growing up? Anybody remember the Cosby show? We loved it. We watched it every week. We loved that show. And I remember my parents would always say, why can't you act like the kids on that show? And I would say, why can't you parent like the parents on that show? Then I got another thing we're going to talk about later. <laughs> but you think about it. We, we compare our kids. Here's the thing. Let your kid be that kid. He is an individual specifically created in the image of God. You don't need to make him who you want to make him or make her who you want to make her. They are individuals. They have their own personalities. They have their own desires. They have their own. We need to be there to help shape them. But don't think you can make them into the mold you want them to be. You let God do the molding. You let God do the changing. You let God do the moving. We've got to trust that God's got the best thing in store for them. You don't need to compare them to some other kid. Because here's the thing. Every kid looks better on the other side. But, and trust me, I've taken my son to school, and the, parent, and the teacher's like, your kid is so good. And I look behind me wondering what parent they're talking to. You ever done that? Not mine. Are you kidding? That's the thing. Every one of us, You. some of y'all be like, I got the perfect kids. <laughs> Ooh, I feel sorry for you. <laughs> Every kid is going to make mistakes. Every kid is going to fail. Stop comparing your kids. It provokes them to wrath. A fourth way to provoke them to wrath is put pressure on them. Putting pressure on a kid. Don't Put so much pressure on your kid that they can't enjoy life. i tell you, a lot of times that comes through sports. We pressure our kids into being the best player that we push and we push and we push and we push. And you can end up pushing them away from something they love. We can put so much pressure on our kids to be academically smart and intelligent and make the best grades and to have the best test scores. And we can put so much pressure on our kids, literally, that they have mental breakdowns. We've got to be careful not to put so much pressure. We can believe the best for our kids and want the best for our kids, but don't try to pressure them so much that you abuse your kids. We've got to be careful not to provoke them. Number five is discouragement. How many of you have ever been so angry you said some words you shouldn't have said? Discouragement is a big way to provoke your children When we discourage them and we tear them down and we tell them they're good for nothing. And here's the thing, how many of you were told that growing up? The problem is, is we can continue to pass it on if we don't break the cycle. We've got to get to a point where we don't discourage our kids. We don't break them down mentally, but we're there to encourage and lift them up. We can provoke them through discouragement. A sixth way is to make them feel unwanted make your children feel unwanted. So some of y'all will be like, I don't make my kids feel unwanted. Well, if you don't want to spend any time with them, you make them feel unwanted. How many of you have teenagers? Anybody have teenagers? All right. If you don't believe they feel unwanted, just watch what they do. They stay in their room all the time, and they're kind of like groundhogs. They peek their head out of the room, see their shadow, and go back in, right? And so you don't want your kids to feel unwanted. You want them to come out and be a part of the family. And and it's important for us to make our kids feel wanted because if they feel unwanted, they want to do everything they can to get out of the family as quickly as they can. Don't provoke them in that manner. Number seven is love is a reward. I'd hope nobody would ever use this because I'm going to tell you I love my kids more. Uh, My kids come third, Okay. You say, wait a minute, your kids come third? That's right. My wife comes second. My wife comes before my kids. You want to know why? Because after they're gone, she's still there. Man, you better get used to that. All right? She better come second. You say, well, then what comes first? Well, that's easy. That's God. God comes first. And the truth is, if I love God first and I put Him first and I make Him first in everything I do, I'm going to love my wife more than I could love her by putting her first. And I'm going to love my kids more by putting them third because they're in the proper order of what God wants us to have. The truth of the matter is, is don't use love as a reward, though. In other words, you don't tell your kids you love them because they do something special. You just love them. One of the greatest travesties that we have today is there aren't enough parents telling their kids they love them. They love them. They love them. I try to make sure when I call my parents that when I get off the phone with them, I say, I love you, Mom. Love you, Dad. You know, and they'll say it to me. And I want that for my kids. I want my kids to know that I love them, that it's not something that I reward them with. I'm going to love them if they fail. I'm going to love them if they mess up. I'm going to love them through everything that they do. I'm going to love them because that's what God has called me to do. I don't want to provoke them where I use love as a reward. You also don't want to provoke them by over-disciplining. Over-disciplining. Now, this happens a lot. How many, Anybody ever gotten angry at their kids? How many of you have ever had that steam come out of your ears like you see in cartoons sometimes? I've had that a few times where I've gotten so angry. And if you don't control it, you can over-discipline your kids. There's a point where it's spare the rod and spoil the child. But there's also a point of you're using too much of the rod. We've got to be careful not to over-discipline discipline our children we don't we need to understand that discipline is a form of love as scripture is going to talk about in just a moment we need to understand discipline is important and it is necessary but it is to be done in a loving manner and so we don't ever want to provoke them through over disciplining a ninth way to provoke your children is to fail to sacrifice for them fail to sacrifice for your children a lot of people would say, well, you're just talking about spoiling kids. Well, there are some kids that are spoiled. Yes, that's true. But as parents, we should sacrifice for our kids. The problem is, is we've gotten in our mindsets that we're the men and we go first. That we're the men and we get everything that we want. The truth of the matter is, is if our kids don't see that we sacrifice for them, and you say, well, where do you get that example from? I get it from Jesus he sacrificed everything for you and the example of fathers that we should follow is the example of Jesus even though he's not a father per se he's your father and he sacrificed everything for you and we should sacrifice for our kids to make sure they have what they need that's an important point but lastly we can provoke our kids through legalism through legalism you say well what do you mean through legal I'll give you an example There was a church at my first church that was just down the road from us, and their standard of dress was simply this. Men wore suits and women wore long dresses all the way down to their ankles, that that was the only appropriate outfit in everything they did, including recreation. Now, let me tell you what my Bible says. My Bible simply says this, you are to dress modestly. Now, here's where legalism can come in from a second standpoint. Legalism can come in from this standpoint. Your definition of modesty may not be my definition of modesty. And you don't need to make your definition of modesty God's definition of modesty. That's called legalism. When you put your parameters and add to God's Word something He didn't say, what you've done is provoke your kids. And I'm going to tell you, when you live in a legalistic home, your children will not want to be a part of church. You've got to make sure you teach the Word of God and the Word of God alone. Don't put your standards on somebody else that God doesn't put on them. Make sure you don't do that because here's what happens. You become a judge, and when you become a judge, God says the mercy that you show is the mercy that will be bestowed to you. That's called legalism. We don't want to be that way. Don't provoke your kids to wrath. Well, number two, we want to look at the positive command. Train your children in the Lord. Look at the last half of that verse. It says, bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. The word bring them up simply comes from the word ektritheo, which means to nourish fully. And then he says, bring them up in the nurture. or Another word for that is to train them. It comes from the word padia, which means instruction or chastening. The idea is systematic training, overall training, which includes discipline. Now, I'm here to tell you, I believe in discipline. Do you? Amen. I hope so. I believe in discipline. I think there's many a times that i would love to discipline in the Walmart checkout aisles, but I don't. They're not mine. Um. (laughs) But here's what the Bible talks about when it comes to discipline of our children, and these are some important things that we need to understand, because discipline is a part of instruction. It says, he that spareth his rod hateth his son, But he that loveth him chasteneth him. You think about that. If you don't discipline your kids, you hate them. You say, how do I hate them? Because you're not training them. You're not preparing them. You're not correcting them and bringing them back. The whole point in discipline is to get them and correct the behavior and bring them back to where they need to be. We're called to do that. And I love Proverbs 19, 18 says it this way. It says, chasten thy son while there is hope and let not thy soul spare for his crying. In other words, do it while they're young. It is not too early to begin discipline in the home. We need to train them while they're young so they know to respect. And here's the problem. The reason why we have disrespectful kids in society is we got disrespectful kids at home. The reason why law enforcement and teachers have the problems they have in school and out in the community is because there's no discipline at home like there needs to be. Let me tell you something. If I got paddled at school, which was often, I got paddled at home as well. They didn't even ask whether I did it. They just did it. Right? Because I usually did it. So... But that's the thing we're called to be willing to discipline because it says chasing them while there is hope. You're training them up at an early age. In Proverbs 22, in verse 15, it says this, Foolishness is bound in the heart of a child, but the rod of correction shall drive it far from him. I love that one. That basically says, beat the fool out of your kid. Now, <laughs> hold on for you go out here and say, Preacher said, beat the fool out of your kid. It means beat the foolishness out of them because within every child is bound up foolishness that wants to come out. Discipline is to correct them from the foolishness and the mistakes that they make. Here's the thing, I try to teach my kids not to make the same mistakes I made. How many of you have ever done that? And you talk to your blue in the face, and then your kids go and do it anyways, right? Why? Because they need to learn from their failures as well. But we've got to do everything we can to teach them to Take the foolishness away from them. Proverbs 23, 13 and 14. Withhold not correction from the child. For if thou beatest him with a rod, he shall not die. Thou shalt beat him with a rod and shalt deliver his soul from hell. How many of you ever remember getting a spanking from your daddy and mama going, You're killing him. My mama never did that. (laughs) She said, Hit him one more time. (laughs) Here's what I want you to understand when it comes to discipline. The Bible makes it very clear. Hebrews 12, 5, and 6. God disciplines those that are His. And He disciplines them because He loves them and His desire is to bring them back. You need to use discipline the same way. When it comes to your children, you do it because you love them. Not because you hate them, even though they may think opposite. You do it because you love them, and your desire is to bring them back so that they don't keep going down the same path they were going down. God wants us to instruct them, to train them, to prepare them. But then he says, bring them up in the training and the admonition of the Lord. The word admonition comes from the word nuthesia, which means a putting into the mind. In other words, you almost basically put it in there, you almost brainwash them. That's almost the word there. It means to teach them in such a way that they can't get rid of it from their minds. That's why I love Awana. Don't you love Awana? They learn memory verses over and over and over and over and over and over again. And the reason why I love it is because the Bible makes it very clear in Psalm 119, 11, It says, thy word I've hid my heart that I might not sin against thee. We're to put it in there so that it sticks, so that when they choose or think about sin, those scriptures come up and change their mind from going in the wrong direction. That's how we're called to train them, fathers. In 1 Corinthians 10 and verse 11, Now all these things happen unto them for in samples, and they are written for admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. In other words, the greatest training tool that we can have as fathers is Our example. Our example. Kids are going to implement what they see us doing. They're going to do more of what we do than what we say. That's one thing that always drives children crazy, and I've been guilty of it sometimes, saying one thing and doing another. And the Bible makes it very clear that we need to set the example in such a way that kids can follow our example. I love 1 Corinthians where Paul says this in 11.1. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Fathers, if you can live by that verse and administer that verse in your life, you'll change your child's life forever. But how else should we train them? Well, I think Deuteronomy 6 is a big way to train our children. And I love this. We do this with every child dedication, but it reads like this in Deuteronomy 6 verses 4 to 9. This is called the Shema. It says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord. Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thine heart, with all thy soul, and with all thy might these words which I command thee this day shall be in thine heart. And thou shalt teach them diligently unto thy children, and shalt talk of them when thou sittest in thine house, and when thou walkest by the way, and when thou liest down, and when thou risest up. And thou shalt bind them as a sign upon thine hand, and thou shalt be as frontlets between thine eyes. And thou shalt write them upon the posts of the house and on thy gates. In other words, here's how we're to train our kids, guys. We need to teach them Constantly. Verse 7 says, we're to teach them, to train them diligently as we sit in the house, when we walk by the way, when we lie down, and when we rise up. In other words, we're to use every opportunity to do teachable moments for our children. We should look for every opportunity to train them in the Word of God so that they grow in their relationship with Christ. We should let the Word of God be the manual for us as fathers that we train our children in the ways of God constantly and consistently and live it out in our lives. That's the way we're called to do it. They should see it in everything we do do. And then it says this, and thou shalt bind them as a sign on thine hand, and they shall be as frontless between thine eyes. The, the people of Israel would use these things called mezuzah boxes. I don't know if you've ever seen the people of Israel, and they'll wear them, and they'll have this leather throng that goes around their arm, and a little box that sits on their hand, or they'll have a leather band that goes around their head with a box that sits on their forehead. It's a mezuzah box, and it has Deuteronomy 6, 4 to 9, and three other passages of scripture in them. And basically, it's the idea that I'm going to train my kids everywhere I go And the example is through that box. In other words, I want to be a symbol before my children so that they can see how a Christian, how a follower of God is living. And so that's what they need to see. Here's the thing. Your kids need to see that you're the same in church that you are in public. They need to see that. They need to see when it comes to your business dealings, you're not willing and dealing with the devil, but then trying to serve God on Sunday. They need to know that you're going to be a man of integrity in everything that you do because they're watching you. You need to have it bound up in your heart that you're going to live for Christ. And then finally, verse 9, And thou shalt write them upon the post of the house and on the gates. In fact, they would take some scriptures and they would put them in the doorpost. And those scriptures were there to remind them that their house was a house of God. In other words, they were to be the same at the home that they are everywhere else they go. You say, well, why is that important? Because if you're not the same at home where you are everywhere else, that's not integrity. When nobody's watching you, what are you doing? Because even though your kids and your family may not see you, your God does. He sees everything you do, and your integrity matters to Him. Are you training your kids in the admonition of the Lord? Are you being A man of God. I challenge you this morning to those two things. Fathers, don't provoke your kids. If you find that there are some ways that you've been leading and provoking, I pray that you'll change. It's not too late. My father asked me one time, he said, my son's out of the house. He doesn't live with me any longer. He's a grown man. He has his own kids. Let me just tell you something, dad, you are still an example as long as you're breathing. Even though I don't live in my father's house, I still call my dad when I need something. How about you? My dad is still an example to me and will forever be an example as long as he is here in this world. How about you? You need to be a man of God in everything you do. Don't ever stop. Don't ever provoke your kids. But number two, you need to be training them up. If you've not been a good job in training them up through word and through deed, you can change that today. Take the challenge Decide today that you're going to be the man of God he wants you to be, that you're going to be the father God wants you to be, that your kid is going to see something different in you over the next several weeks and months and years. Decide today that you want to be the man that God has called you to be. That's my challenge for you this morning.